whatever change you want to see in the world, whether that's in business, the environment, the intersection of technology in so many fields, law is a pretty good lever to help create that change. And students who do have an interest in, in making their world better are seeing law and legal education as a vehicle to do that and giving them the tools to support themselves and their families. Hey, this is Sean Kernakin, and you're tuned into Civil Action. This is the podcast of Cabotech LLP. We're a firm in downtown LA that does a lot of different work on the plaintiff side. And we put this podcast on so we can share with you what we are learning about the law. Our weekly podcast is dedicated to important topics for lawyers and issues in the law. We have guests. We talk about recent cases. We talk about trends. We talk about practice areas. We try to help people be better lawyers and learn about the law. In some ways, you can look at this as a 15 to 20 minute law school class each week. Welcome back to Civil Action. This is Brian Kabatek. And I'm Sean Kernikian. Hi, Sean. How are you today? Good, Brian. How are you? I'm outstanding. You know why I'm outstanding? It's because we have one of my favorite people in the whole world is our guest today, Michael Waterstone, who's the dean of Loyola Law School. I have known Michael now for at least five years because I think that's as many years as he's been dean. And he has done a terrific job at the school, full disclosure. I'm the chair of the board of directors at the school and a trustee of LMU. And But that doesn't make me Michael's boss directly. But I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of what he what he's done with the law school. I also know that Shant is a loyal graduate of Loyola. I am. I'm on the Loyola Alumni Board. And a quick plug for any alumni that are out there that are willing to contribute their time, their efforts, their money, whatever it is, it's a great way to give back to the community and a great way to make friends and keep in touch with the Loyola community. So quick plug for the Loyola alumni community here. But yeah, Dean Waterstone, welcome to our humble little show. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Our eight listeners are very excited to hear from you, Michael. So one of the things we're going to talk about today is where the law school is now. Give Michael an opportunity to update us on what's going on, what's exciting at the school, and there's plenty to be excited about. And then we're going to talk about kind of what law school was like for students and for for faculty during the pandemic. And then we're going to talk about post-pandemic and where we are now and what, what he's excited about and what the field looks like. And I think we'll finish up by talking about sort of the job prospect for young people coming out of law school today. So, Michael, let's turn it over to you. What is going on at Loyola Law School these days? So many exciting things, Brian. I'm glad you asked. And thank you both for talking about Loyola at the outset. You're both such great representatives of and ambassadors for the school, and I'm grateful for your service. We are doing great. I like to think that while we faced our challenges, we've emerged from at least the the big stage of the pandemic stronger than ever. I think the world needs what we provide more now than it ever has. Those of your listeners that have followed legal education know that around 2008, there was a real drop in applications to American law schools. And that wasn't just the case at Loyola, it was the case at pretty much every law school in the country. That has really rebounded. And we've seen several years of incredibly strong applications to law school, lots more folks deciding to go. And it's truly, I believe, a really good moment for us. What drove the drops in applications back in 2008 and what's driving the rise in applications now? Yeah, I mean, pick your cause in terms of the drop of applications. Part of it was certainly a sense of diminished employment outcomes um, and that, that grads 
were not going to be placed in the types of jobs they wanted coming to law school. And some people really questioning the value proposition of law school. Uh, certainly rising tuition costs were not great combined with, I think, some level of skepticism about the legal profession and legal education generally. How are employment prospects now? Because you guys track this stuff very effectively, I think, in terms of the metrics. And how, how does the job market look now? Like at this yeah, point? Yeah, really strong. So part of the backstory of the drop in applications is if you're talking in 2000s and before, the way law schools calculated employment was pretty general. And if anyone was working any kind of job, it counted as employed. And that was really the way that our accreditors gather the information. So that's the way we brought it together. So if you went on any law school's website during that time, you would have seen something like nine, some high 90 percentage of grads employed. And then if you looked at the small print, it would have defined what employed meant. And it wasn't that impressive. That got both brought to light and then cleaned up. And as you mentioned, Sean, now we track this meticulously, very carefully. And we're always focused on what we call real legal jobs, real grown-up, full-time, long-term legal jobs. Probably a good statistic to track, yeah. Yeah, the kind that grads are coming to law school hoping to get. And yeah. employment prospects in American law schools, and certainly Loyola, are quite strong. We were in the mid to high 80s, 10 months out in the last couple cycles, and we're always looking to do better. So that's because, and let's be clear about what that means too, Michael, is that that means that 85 or so percent of the class had real law jobs within 10 months of graduation or within a few months of passing the bar. Both within a few months of passing the bar, 10 months out. Yeah. So again, we know that the best thing we can do for these grads is place them in that all-important first job that sets them up for sustained growth and success over the course of their careers. So it's been really exciting to see. Certainly, that's helped fuel people coming back to law schools. Part of it is we know that our, the students that are coming to Loyola truly are looking to make a difference in the world. And I believe there's never been a better time to do that as a lawyer. I think the future is a very exciting place. And whatever change you want to see in the world, whether that's in business, the environment, the intersection of technology in so many fields, law is a pretty good lever to help create that change. And students who do have an interest in, in making their world better are seeing law and legal education as a vehicle to do that and giving them the tools to support themselves and their families. What is different now or what options are available for, for students that want to make a difference? You know, I always kind of grew up with the saying that lawyer just doesn't mean a litigator or being in a courtroom. There's other options. But I really think Loyola is now trying to really push that and, and provide students with different options, right? Like, what does Loyola have in place, like clinics, things like that? I always do think of it, like you said, Sean, as providing options, right? Our job is to help people live out their personal and professional goals and dreams. And that's why we exist to help get them there. So certainly we see our grads entering the legal profession in a really broad spectrum of activities. Certainly people going to law firms, doing civil litigation, working in government positions, increasingly working in legal capacities in businesses or in non-legal capacities in businesses. We track those numbers and we see a growth there. I think to talk about what we're doing, I always believe, and I've spent time, as, as you both know, at a number of different law schools. I think 
when I define what makes Loyola really unique and special amongst American law schools, I always come back to three things. The first is, I truly believe we are better than anyone else at preparing our students to be lawyers. And that sounds like a really simple thing for a law school to do, but we are extraordinary at it. And, and there are so many pieces of that. So much of it is the care and attention our faculty pay to our students and their teaching and the scholarship that they do out in the world that they then bring in to inform in the classroom. And, and we can spin that out through the quality of our alumni, you know, present company excluded, of course, our bar pass rates, our job placement statistics, all of these things demonstrate how well we are doing in preparing our students to enter the profession. I think the second thing that makes us unique is we always have been and remain ahead of the curve. And Brian, I know you mentioned that at the outset, and we're going to get into the ways that the legal profession is changing, at least partially as a result of the pandemic. But we've always been out in front. And I, and I think that that encompasses not just what we teach, but how we teach and who we teach. So we are the only law school I know of that has a first year elective and artificial intelligence in the law. We're teaching advanced students coding and where they're creating web applications to work with social justice organizations. We had the first cyber concentration west of the Mississippi. We've always had a forward-looking approach to the study of law. In terms of who we're teaching, well, we've always taught JV students, but increasingly on our campus, you see master's students, foreign trained attorneys, executive programs. We've always prioritized teaching the world about law because we're very good at it and how we teach. So regardless of how we feel about it, aspects of virtual education are here and will always be a part of legal education and I think always be a part of the profession. We were out in front on that. We had been doing that for a lot of for some time and in a lot of different ways that we were able to leverage during the pandemic. So I really think we always have been and will remain ahead of the curve. And, and Sean, the last thing that distinguishes us to come back to your question is our commitment to social justice. That is something that is not new to us. It's always evolving. And we hold ourselves to an incredibly high standard on this. As both of you know, we were the first law school where students themselves voted a pro bono requirement for graduation. Our I social to do justice that. I mission. mean, that's the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of, you know, how does Loyola contribute to social justice? I had to do that. And it was valuable, very valuable experience. And nobody felt that it was, oh, it's a burden. I have to do that. It was kind of like a fun part of the, my law school experience, my third year. You know, I think that. everyone finds it incredibly rewarding. And, yeah. and, and of late on our campus with our Loyola Social Justice Law Clinic, we are working on real cases for people who are experiencing what was even before the pandemic, a broken access to justice system. And our students working under the supervision of our faculty are creating life-changing outcomes for our clients while they're still in law school. So whether it is working on cases of individuals who are jailed and incarcerated for crimes they did not commit, whether it is representing juveniles who would otherwise be navigating a confusing system on their own, whether it's resenting, representing immigrants in detention proceedings in some of the you know, most challenging moments of their lives. It's our students doing that work while they're still in law school. And, and imagine getting to do that 
in that formative stage of your legal development, it really does set your brain on fire. So doing real work. And it's not, it's not like mock cases. These aren't hypo hypothetical cases. They're real, they're real cases. Read about this in newspapers, you know, it's real stuff, right? They are real cases for real people. And that means that we are graduating students who understand the justice system with all of its challenges firsthand, but also who are graduating having actually done real meaningful legal work. So it is something that we're incredibly proud of. When I think of what we're providing, it comes back to we're better than anyone else preparing our students. We are ahead of the curve and that unique commitment to social justice. Let's go from what we're providing to like how you're providing it. That's what I'm curious. Is that what you're going to ask about, Brian? Well, yeah, I, th- I, I want to talk now about sort of, you know, since I, I suspect that several of our eight listeners graduated law school more than a decade ago. What is law school like now today? And why don't we start first by what was it like during the pandemic? And then let's move forward to what it's like today and where we see it going in the future. Yeah, it's such a great question. So if you were to come to class today, the first thing you would see is students back on campus and wearing masks inside the classroom. Professors are wearing masks. That is, you know, we are compliant with all protocols in LA County. We put a lot of work into our ability to reopen safely. And it has been wonderful to see, to welcome our students back to our community. And there's a real sense of just lightness and even giddiness to be back in physical proximity to each other. I think during the pandemic, we, and and I'm talking about Loyola, but you could really talk about legal education generally, we're able to pivot incredibly quickly to remote instruction. And it was something that no one planned. And it obviously wasn't just legal education. It was all of education and kind of all of the world. But we really, really focused during that period on trying not to spend our time and energy on one-off solutions for which there was going to be no lasting benefit, but really doubling and tripling down on what we could learn about our ability to teach remotely that would pay off in the future. And you know, here's where I come back to, legal education needs to always be responsive to the profession. So we're always looking to what has changed in the profession. So when I was a baby lawyer now decades ago, part of what I did is I was paid a lot of money to go through lots of documents, right? In in offices that are not as nice as either of yours. And, you know, I had my red sticky, my green sticky, my yellow sticky. And for a while now, you don't need human beings to do that work. That, you know, there are algorithms that do that far more effectively. So, you know, that's been built into legal education for a while. But I also remember as a junior lawyer, flying across the country, getting out at the airport, taking at that point, it was a taxi, not an Uber, to a conference room somewhere, sitting in a deposition, either defending someone, taking a deposition, oftentimes going right back to the airport, flying back. And I'm not convinced a lot of us are going to be spending our time doing that anymore in a world where things like depositions and mediations have been shown to be, if not optimal, highly functional remote. Yeah, I I don't think there's any question. I don't think we're ever going to go back to 100% depositions. I don't think we'll even go back to 50% of depositions being in person. So how how are we preparing students today for the virtual world of law practice? One is we are, where it makes sense, incorporating aspects of virtual instruction into our existing classes. 
So we need people fluent with these technologies and the technologies that are coming as part of their legal education. Coming back to the clinics for a moment, Sean, you know, they're practicing in real time and have been doing it in the pandemic. So they've had to get comfortable with remote hearings. We know that more mediations are occurring remotely. So we are focusing, teaching our students about that also. It's interesting, Brian, to come back to your question, and maybe I'll take a spin on it, which is what's working, what's not working. What we found during the pandemic, as we come up, you know, to the moment in time we're at now, we got very good very quickly at delivering really high quality instruction remotely. We can run a class. And in some ways you can do things that you've never done before in class. So I taught two classes during the pandemic. One was the socio-legal impacts of COVID-19 and the other was my law and leadership course. And I was able to bring in a broader range of speakers from all over the world because people, super easy for them to come in you know, remotely and, and be a part of that educational experience. So we can do really well with remote classroom instruction. What we do not have our arms around, and I don't think anybody does yet, is the ability of our students to connect with each other and to connect with the institution when they're not in person. And that's why it's been so wonderful to welcome them back to see that happening. I, I, would, like I would add two things though, Sean, just real quickly, I would add two things to this. One is I think that a law student graduating from law school today will never know that world of law practice where you get on a plane to take a three hour deposition of an expert witness, right? I mean, that's something that we grew up with as you must, there was no choice, to today they're coming out with all this kind of stuff being virtual. That's that's part of it. The other part of it is what you were just talking about, which I see in the practice law also, is we haven't figured out how to have a virtual collaborative experience, particularly in practicing litigation law, which is you know what we do. Yeah, what's the solution to that? I mean, this is both to Brian, what are your thoughts on it? And Dean Waterson, what are your thoughts on it? how do you feel that? No one wants to, no one wants my point of view. No one that's wants true. I, I'm not I'm we're sure. Here to listen to, we're here to listen polite. to the Dean. Yeah, I'm just being polite asking you, but right. really, how do you, you how don't do really you care that, either? <laughs> how do you fill in that void of the piece of human interaction and students longing for that? And I know that because we have we have law students that are law clerks at our firm, and and you know, some of them when they first started out or a while back, they were like, I have classmates I haven't met. You know, there's people I haven't yeah. met yet. So I, I don't know that met. I have the magic answer. I'm sure Brian does if we let him speak, but let, let's, no keep one's him, interested let's in let Brian's him not speak yeah. for a little bit longer. So I don't know that there are any easy answers. And I think a lot about this with the junior lawyers that we are that are graduating. The ones that have graduated in the last couple of years are not going to have the benefit of the type of mentorship and mentoring programs and experiences that all three of us have. And that is a, it's a challenge. And I, and you think about what is going to take the place of that. I don't think that anything, at least during maybe our professional lifetimes is going to completely take the place of that. I do think that those person-to-person, face-to-face interactions are incredibly important. When I think about a forward-looking take on legal education, so as both of you know, and as Brian has personally experienced, we've been the best at part-time legal education for over 100 years. 
We started as a part-time program. Give my statistic about this. It's very... We are the highest ranked evening program or part-time program outside of the original 13 colonies. We used to say west of the Mississippi, but we've sliced and diced the numbers. No, we've gone even further east than that. Just the 13 original colonies. There isn't anybody better in... 47 states or something like that than Loyola in a part-time education. And, and, and this is personal to me, as, as I think you both know, my dad was a graduate of the evening program, Loyola's evening program. If that part-time option doesn't exist, nothing that I've gotten to do in my life professionally gets to happen, period. However, we being forward-looking always need to think about how to deliver part-time legal education in a forward-looking format. So the program that we are creating will still bring students to campus one night a week for in-person instruction, the opportunity to interact with each other. We will build some additional time for them to come and be a part of the community. And they can always come more if they want, but we're just trying to focus the classroom instructional part and then build an enrichment around that. And the balance will be done remotely, either in person or asynchronous. I mean, I'm sorry, either synchronous or asynchronous. So that we believe is going to create the opportunity for all kinds of people to get a legal education who existing delivery methods just haven't really worked for. If you're a talented would-be lawyer living in the Inland Empire, for example. Getting to Loyola three, four nights a week is a tough go. And increasingly, people who want to do part-time legal education have jobs that don't necessarily end, you know, three, four, five nights a week at six o'clock. Traffic is a thing. So we're really trying to build a forward-looking take on legal education generally and do it taking advantage of our strengths. But Sean, to come back to the original question, we're not eliminating in-person time from that program or that experience, period. We're still making that an important function of the system. Is it safe to say that it's never going to, law school's never going to be the same? It's never going to be like pre-2020? Because I, I could say that for the law practice. I could tell you it's never it's never going to go for better or for worse. But I think on balance, for better, it's never going to go back to how it was pre-2020. W- would you say that about law school, that it's it's not going to go back to how it was? There's always I can't speak be this. for every law school, because I'm sure there are some law schools that want nothing better than to freeze time in 2019 and, and go back to the good old days. I can speak about Loyola. We'll never be the same. We'll absolutely never be the same. The profession changes and adapts, and it's our job to be right there with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting issue because if you think about the state of California, 40 million people live in the state of California, the entire Central Valley of California has no accredited law school. So if you were a somebody who worked, you had to put food on your family's table, you lived in Fresno, there's a perfectly good unaccredited law school in the Fresno area, but there's no ABA accredited law school. What are you going to do? How, what, what, what are your choices? And this is all about giving people choices and using technology. I think that we have jumped forward in the practice of law in general, a decade because of the pandemic when it comes to technology. I think that we have jumped into the 2030s when we when we come up with that. And Sean, I want to ask you a question. When I talk 
is that like a good opportunity for you to check your emails or see what's going on at your house or something like that? Do anything but pay attention to you. Yes, it's a good opportunity for anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just want no, to make that statement. No, that, that's a valid point. And maybe, I don't know if we've taken a leap forward. I think the profession was so far behind. I think the profession's just kind of caught up a little bit to the current times. I think, I think that's a, true. I think it's a fascinating conversation. I mean, even before the pandemic, there were big brain theorists saying that the legal or the legal profession was poised to have more growth in the next decade than the last 200 years in terms of change and innovation. Other people saying the profession has always innovated. I mean, some will say that the biggest two innovations in the legal profession were air conditioning and typewriters, right? Air conditioning, allowing people to work in buildings longer and for periods of time and typewriters enabling people to get work done more efficiently. So I don't know that I can resolve that, but I, I do think the profession has always changed. I think it has to be more dramatic during and on the heels of a pandemic where the old ways of doing things are revealed as imperfect and efficient. What I spend a lot of time thinking about, and I know our community does, is we had in many ways a broken access to justice system before the pandemic. And I'm no better at predicting the future than anyone else, but I can't imagine on the back end of a pandemic, our world is going to be more equal, not less equal. Yeah, it's an interesting issue because we've spent a lot of time today talking about the mechanics of post-pandemic law school and law practice, and not as much time talking about how post-pandemic, the, the philosophy of the law practice has changed, how the, the world has changed with respect to looking at lawyers and looking at the practice of the law. So you know, we're, we're kind of running out of time here, Michael, but any final thoughts about that? That's a big question. I assume we have another like 45 minutes or so. That's about it. Or seconds, um, yeah. <laughs> you may leave. It's fine. Sean and I'll keep talking. So I think that's such an important question. I think apart from the access to justice issues, we're at a moment of hyper-partisanship. We're at a moment where trust in institutions is eroded. We're at a moment where people are not always treating each other kindly, where people are attacking people, not positions, where everybody's talking, but too often people aren't listening. And, and one thing I think that we are really good at at legal education and certainly really good at at Loyola is to be an outstanding lawyer, to be a Loyola lawyer, you've got to be a good listener. You have to be able to listen to someone's argument so carefully that you can take it apart and put it back together again better than they originally articulated it. And that takes a really kind of active listening and even empathy that I think is missing in today's public discourse. So certainly that's part of what we try to teach and model in the world. It's not saying that we should not create lawyers that are empowered to and want to advocate for change. By all means, go for it. The world needs it. But Doing so after careful reflection, after listening, after really putting yourselves in a position to forcefully attack positions, not people. Yeah, I think that's huge as you know, someone that actively practices in civil litigation. 
in that context, yeah, that having civility restored or having people reflect on what they're doing and the arguments they're making and attacking the positions and not the people, that's that's a perfect way to put it. I think that is huge and that's important and good for Loyola for trying to foster that in, in their students and, and empower them to do that and do it meaningfully, but respectfully and keep that in mind. Civility is huge in our profession. We need more of it. So Michael Waterstone, Dean of Loyola Law School, has been our guest today. We're really grateful to have you here. Michael's done such a great job with the school. Good school, great school, great people. We really appreciate having you. Thank you very much for being on Civil Action today. This is Brian Kabatek. And I'm Sean Kernikian. Thank you, Dean Waterstone. Thank you, guys. World-class program. I appreciate it. Anyone that wants to reach out to me absolutely should. You can find me on our website, lls.edu. You can email me at michael.waterstone, just like it sounds, at lls.edu, or give me a call at 213-736-2243. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And you can check us out online at kbklawyers.com. Find us on social media at Cabotech LLP. You can check out the law school if you have any questions for the dean. I'm sure you could reach out to him. If you want to get involved in alumni stuff, you know, feel free to reach out to me, reach out to Brian, anyone here. And you know, we look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, thank you for listening today. We really appreciate it. This is Brian Kabatek. You can reach me at bsk at kbklawyers.com. And I'm Sean Kernick, and you can find me online at sk at kbklawyers.com. And as you might have guessed, our website is kbklawyers.com. You could find us on all social media platforms at Kabatek LLP. We like putting on the show. We appreciate you listening. If you can go online and like us, give us ratings, follow us on all the different platforms. If you know someone that practices in a particular area and you, you think they might find this useful, feel free to share it with them. And feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions, if you want to bring an interesting case to our attention, you have a potential case you want advice on from us, we'd be happy to help you out if we can. And we'd love to hear from you. 